So back in 2008, uh, the government spent about $10 billion. And so far, this government has spent about $500 billion. Completely dwarfs what was happening in 2008. So can you imagine the magnitude of this boom? This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we continue our discussion with property investor and retired actuary Liana Pang with an impressive portfolio of over 26 properties. She reveals the secrets of her own investment strategies, what her greatest motivations were as a young investor as well as sharing valuable insights into the current property market and much, much more. Penn and I discussed the struggles she faced when trying out renovation strategies and why certain strategies work better for her. I must have grown so much like so many sleepless nights in, in that period of time. So at the end of the day, the biggest lesson I learned each time is when I make money, it was always because I got the property at the right time, right right location, right time. And, um, and when I lose money, it was not doing that research properly. So, you know, I've done all these strategies and in, in, in some cases I make money, in some cases I haven't made uh, money. So those were probably I will say the interesting, interesting years. Uh, but I always look back on those years and say, "Well, I'm, I'm glad that I've done this. You know, I know what it's like to uh, to do all these different strategies. So I can say uh, what strategy works for me. Like someone who's a busy professional, um, who who's got um, who's got a lot going on in their life. It doesn't really have the time to actually to spend that much time doing um, active." active um, strat- property strategy, so to speak. So what would it be like for uh, people in that, in that situation uh, to build a, a portfolio of properties that can give them the passive income, the financial freedom they want? So this is the strategy I come back to, is to do your research upfront and find just find the property that is right location, right time, um, to make sure that you maximize your chance of getting properties that will beat the average growth over time. Um, and build a portfolio from there. And there's a lot of signs, numbers and signs behind it as well. You can basically uh, uh, build a portfolio and actually pay off all of your debt. So say you buy two properties, you can pay off uh, if that those two properties grow at above average rate and then after 10 years or so, you can actually sell one property and use that to pay off the debt against the other property com- completely. So the strategy is simply you know, buy twice as many properties as you need, roughly, and then sell half of them off at the point where you you were ready to consolidate and have the other half completely paid off and paying you a passive income. Yep, yep, and that's that's a great strategy, and it's a simple strategy. I mean, anyone can follow it. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. You said that as well. I'm also curious about a little bit more about the renovation, the property development type of things. What kind of say renovations did you do and did you actually manage the trades or did you actually go in and do the renovations too? So you, with the renovation strategy, it's it's about you know um, buying a property in a location. I worked at locations, the trades locations where you can get, there is a big gap between unrenovated and renovated properties but 
as I said, even if you tick all your boxes, do everything right, if you picked it, the margin on renovations is typically 5 to 10%. Mm, very slim. Um, yeah, it's slim. And what if the property market slides by 5% um, over a 6, 12 months period where you're doing this project? Well, then you lost all of your profit. We move on to discuss Liana's most memorable aha moments where everything seemed to click into place for her. There's a lot of aha moments in my journey. <laughs> um, I think one of the, the biggest aha moments is, is just leads on from what I uh, talked about before is that research, hugely important. Understanding the data and using it. Actually, the property market is predictable to a large extent. It's actually predictable. Um, and understanding that is so incredibly important. So there are certain rules, certain rules that I've figured out over the years. Uh, for example, you know, you've got the long-term gross rate for Australian property is incredibly stable. Uh, it's about 6.8 to 7% over time, whether you look at 25 years, 30 years, 50 years, even I went back 100 years, the 100-year average gross rate for Australian property is seven, about 7%. Incredibly stable. Um, and also, uh, the, the property cycles, they're not in a straight line. Otherwise, it would be so predictable. You know, right? um, but uh, it, it actually, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, in, within a property cycle, the, the gross rate will be either above the trend line or below the trend line. And the idea is finding points below the trend line, but when the trend line is it's below the trend line, but it's about to accelerate its growth rate to get above the trend line. So you could call it, uh, there's a 70-30 rule, for example. So a property cycle will spend 70% of its time in stagnation, which you can call above, uh, actually, you know, sort of from going above the trend line to below the trend line, period of stagnation, and about 30% of its time in acceleration. So you want to actually get to that point in time um, to, to take advantage of the uplift at 30%. Timing the market is one part of it. And then there are lots of cycles within uh, within Australia. So there's like it's it's not one property cycle. There's so many property cycles. Every city has its own property cycle, um, and so you can always find uh, properties that are in the right uh, right point in cycle to take advantage of the growth. So like research is bigger harm moment. Just how important it is. Doesn't matter what strategy I implement. Um, yeah, so that's a huge one. And the other one is um, just the strategy that we talked about. Uh, so how do you get properties to pay themselves off? Um, and, and that is a huge aha moment for me um, as well. And you actually don't need to put in more of your savings. I'm not like you don't actually have to live on baked beans for 10 years to get to your financial freedom. You can't doesn't really need to affect your lifestyle. Yeah. Well, this is really good that you pointed out those because it really leads into more about talking about, I guess, the strategies and so forth that you've done. And I really like it that you've hit on the point that you don't need to live on baked beans to you know, build a portfolio. Maybe in, in your situation, what were you able to do? Because as you said, 2008 was a great time to buy property. Did you, did you buy lots of property around that time or did you actually just wait a bit of time to do that? Because you know, it'd be interesting to know how did you actually 
accelerate growth over the last you know 10 years to between 2008 and 2009 um, as I as I predicted there was going to be a property boom and the property boom did come so my first property that I bought for 400 grand grew by a hundred thousand dollars in 12 months so that gave me a uh, hundred grand of capital growth or equity I was able to so the strategy is you don't want to put all uh, your savings continuously over the uh, 10 years whatever time period that you need to to uh, accumulate your portfolio you're using the equity in your property to actually get your next properties so after about 12 months because that's all the savings i got i had about 50 grand so got me started with my first property but didn't have any more after that so um that that capital grows a big chunk of capital growth from that first property allowed me to get into two more properties the following year and those property again same same scenario right location right time um, ticks all the boxes in terms of above average capital growth potential and they were all positive cash flow as well this is again a very 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 important thing from day one i bought properties that were cash flow positive so they all um they were brand new properties so which meant that they uh, will maximize your depreciation benefits your tax return tax refunds very important for someone like myself, for example. Um, and and also they have very good rental yields to start with. So they were positive cash flow, uh, often before tax refunds, the tax refunds just add to that. Um, so that's very important because it's, it's, it's good for borrowing capacity later on as well. So the banks can continue to lend your money if your property is doing really well in terms of cash flow. it's paying you to own it, even if paying 90% or 100% interest, you know. So that that was one of the key rules that I, uh, that I stuck to. Um, and using that additional funds, like the additional cash flow on that property, not using that to fund your lifestyle, but putting that back into the property to help you pay down that property or putting that towards another uh, deposit for another property. So you are able to pretty much leapfrog from one property to another without having to inject your own cash, you know, and that way you can keep that cash to, I guess, live and, you know, have, have the lifestyle that you want as well until your portfolio generates additional passive income as well. You don't need to inject a, a more of your cash after maybe the first two or three properties. The properties themselves should, you be, should be able to pull out the equity from the properties themselves to keep going. I did both anyway, like being Asian, just the same way. All the money to into property so I did both. <laughs> Thriving on accelerated growth, at what point did Pan decide to quit a nine to five job and invest all of her time into property? Um, that was about six years into over five five to six years uh, into my investment journey, so 2013. Um, I realized that I was making a lot more. I was actually getting more passive income from my uh, property portfolio than I was from my day job. And at that point, I just realized, oh, you know what? I could do, um, I could spend my time better. I could just do this full time um, because, you know, I can I can look at so many more opportunities. My big dream, like as a data scientist, your big dreams is always being able to uh, do a lot of uh, data analytics. And, and, and by that point, I have truly and really got the property bug. And really want to know everything like the depth of property and how you can uh, make this so predictable and make very accurate predictions is always always about that um so my big dream was to one day be able to uh, to like be able to fund 
the purchase of a lot of data and, and built you know, a, a research team around me just to do this full time. Uh, which is, I'm glad to say that we are able to bring that to to fruition. So, you know, that model just keeps getting refined and refined. But you do need; it's quite expensive to actually uh, to to actually purchase and, and and maintain a lot of data and to to be able to do analytics on. Yeah, and that's the thing. Data is so key. It's like gold, you know, in, in our day and age at the moment. I mean, when we look at Google, Facebook, the amount of data that they sell for advertisers is worth a lot of money. It's the same thing as property. You're able to get that data, mine it and then, you know, find the best value out of it. So, I guess the question maybe pops in my head is why do we not use, say, for example, technology and AI to, you know, use your models, apply your models and then give us, you know, spit out, I guess, properties or answers to what we're doing rather than human interaction. Is it getting to that point that we would do that in the future or is it, you know, going to be still human um so if you if you think about a lot of pricing algorithms these days in um in the insurance context or um in data analytics context does uh does include ai already so uh, it's just you know a simple example will be a feedback loop or automatic feedback loop so we're getting getting the algorithms to pick up patterns in the data live data and feed it back and so refine the model um in, in real time so um, so that that that's been happening uh, since about six or seven years ago now. So a lot of insurance companies already have that. Um, so what I would say is that even in the insurance context, that's 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 why actually do still exist today. You can never leave data to just do its own thing. It's like a black box. You put stuff into the black box, it comes out. You have no idea what it means. Um, and so you always have to apply a judgment layer. To, to that. So simple examples like um, data can help you identify. So we have like a 94 point checklist checkpoints that we go through when we uh, when we uh, identify a suburb as, as a, a suburb with the potential for above average capital growth, for example. So but that process, that process, once that suburb comes out, we give them a score. Uh, the suburbs with high scores, we actually look into it. You always need to have on the ground knowledge. You need to know, like, see and feel it. Feel it. There's, a, there's a part of it. That part you can't remove. You can't be completely rely on data. So if you look at some uh, of the companies out there that, are, that only produce data, like results, uh, predictions based on only looking at the data, and you can often see that, um, you can often see that they they leave a lot. For example, um, if an area is going through a massive uh, like massive change, like massive population grows, um, and one of the things you'll see is that new new developments or estates will come through, and you might be uh, forgiven and think what well, the, the median data, the median price point might look like it's come up a lot, but what it is happening is a lot of the new sales are actually new properties, whereas uh, you know sales a few had to happen a few years ago are the the older properties. So it's not comparing apples to apples. And that also skews as well the property prices too in that particular suburb. Thinking, wow, that that area has gone through massive growth. But if you look into it, you might flag that area, um, and, and if you look into it, you realize, wow, actually the mix of properties that get sold over time are actually different. So just to give you a simple example, so the, there's 
there's a, a lot of data cleaning you can do, but this this type of data, like this, it's very hard to clean up that. Coming up after the break, Pan shares exciting predictions for the property market. I'll go so far as saying that the boom is happening, like it's starting to now. We discuss the positive impacts of setting goals. Uh, it's a goal, it's a number that we set and we thought that uh, it's like a big, big, uh, big goal. <laughs> At the time we set it, we didn't think we we're going to, you know, we think, oh my God, that's such a huge number. Pan lets us in on advice she should have followed in hindsight. I talk to investors all the same time and I never met an investor that told me I wish I started later. In- and that's right after the break. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Being equipped with so much knowledge around data is incredibly progressive for Pan. I ask her what the data is suggesting about the market around this time with the current pandemic still in play. I'll go so far as saying that the boom is happening, like it's starting to now. So all of the factors that drove the past uh, past boom, so one of one part of our, uh, which, which is like our uh, prediction methodology, which I call four pillars of prediction. One of the pillars is in fact studying uh, studying uh, external events that have profound impact on the market. So things like economic shocks or a pandemic is a perfect example of that and studying how that affects market. So certain factors that have happened in the past, um, whether it's happening again, because if it's happening again, the same thing will happen again. So, um, and, and that is exactly what's happening. So, 2008 during the GFC, what happened after the GFC is the government injected a lot of stimulus um, into the economy and there was a lot of direct stimulus for the housing industry. So for example, they doubled the first home buyers grant, they increased you know, grants to encourage people to buy brand new properties, therefore stimulating the construction industry. They fast-tracked a lot of infrastructure projects. Doesn't that sound familiar to you? In the last few months, right? Um, and uh, we just uh, got the budget uh, two days ago, which is very, very exciting because they've in- introduced more tax cuts. They've introduced um, an uh, initiative to create more jobs, um, and all of and, and they fast forward a whole bunch of infrastructure projects um, as well. And what is different this time is the scale of the stimulus. So back in two thousand eight, uh, the government spent about ten billion dollars. And so far, this government has spent about $500 billion. Completely dwarfs what was happening in 2008. So can you imagine the magnitude of this boom? So if anything, I think the same thing's gonna happen. It's just the scale for this time around is going to be, I'll say, bigger than last time, the last year. It sounds like they're trying to move it quickly because there's still a lot of fear around the coronavirus, you know, pandemic that's still happening around. People still trapped inside, well, not trapped, but you know, staying at home. So I guess there's more and more people wanting to, I guess you know, get their own property, you know, live in somewhere that that's stable. And- yeah, absolutely. There's always a a, a fear for um, at times like these people often lose faith in assets that are liquid just because it can change so much. Like from the beginning of this year till the onset of the the, uh, the pandemic, for example, property market lost 30 to 40% in, in a period of two or three weeks. 
And uh, the same thing happened during the GFC. Um, the, the, during the GFC, the Australian share market fell by 55%. And yet uh, around the same time, uh, the property market fell across Australia only by 5%. So it's so much more stable and resilient against any economic shocks. So whenever economic shock happens, people lose face in the share market and take their money out. They want to invest it in safer assets. Um, and so, like, you know, if, if you are looking at superannuation, for example, it's, it's, it's quite an interesting area. People always transition uh, from shares to, to brick and mortar at times of crisis like this. Um, and, you, you know, you can't, you can't blame them for, for doing that because imagine you're trying to retire in 2008 and suddenly half of your retirement fund was gone. It'd be a scary thing. <laughs> So that's why the, the people flock to or moved into secure assets such as physical assets like property, which is very, very common. And then you also got interest rate, it's, which is down to the lowest it's ever been historically. So it's never been cheaper to borrow money. And you also got like governments just uh, relaxing the lending policies again and again. And they actually just put out an announcement on my birthday. Twenty fourth of September, they announced that they're going to uh, simplify a whole set of rules um, to make lending easier. With the implications, the borrowing capacity for everybody will increase, um, and the whole finance process will be a lot more, uh, a, a lot faster. Um, and so that would just encourage even more people to, so they can afford to buy more now. They can encourage more people into the property market. And then you've got the first home, uh, uh, home builder grant. Um, and you've also got so many other incentives for first home buyers coming in. So, like, it's it's the for a first home buyer right now, it's never been a better time because they they get they get something. We did the math across all cities and states just to see how much the level of incentives they can get from each of the federal government, state government, um, and, and so forth. And it adds up to about um, eighty to a hundred thousand dollars. Of incentives that they can get to buy their first property, right? So, imagine how much, how hard is it to save that much money for a first-time buyer? So, all of a sudden, like before, you might have this many people that can afford to buy their first property. All of a sudden, the floodgate opens. Um, so that's already happening in the past couple of months. Pen and I move on from discussing the market to discussing her current motivations. Having achieved financial freedom and having seen her parents retire comfortably, she has done what she initially set out to do. So, what now? What is her why moving forward? My why, there's this couple of reasons. One, I am a nerd, so I do love data. And the data actually that I'm working with now, the, the building the research team and just getting deeper, deeper understanding of um, how to build, you know, perfect this model, that actually has real applications in life. Um, so it's that's that's that in itself is, is an extremely rewarding experience. Seeing there's nothing satisfying as seeing your predictions coming true um, time and time again and really helped your um, not just me personally financially but now members of the freedom community as well now i guess that brings us to the second part of it is is that um we want to help as many people as we can to achieve the same outcomes that we have been able to achieve of myself 
my business partner, uh, Scott Crew, and uh, all the members of the Freedom Community, and also our Freedom Team. Like our Freedom Team is over 70 people strong today. Um, all of these people are actually interested in, in building their own portfolio for following this the same strategy. So you kind of feel responsible that that's why you work extra extra hard because you wanna uh, you're putting your your um, your family and friends and then team our team members uh, livelihood or like you know savings into these properties. You wanna make sure that you do uh, the absolute best you can to make sure you pick the right properties. So that's been driving us, and our mission is actually uh, with Freedom is to help. 10,000 families or individuals to achieve their own financial freedom um, in the next five to 10 years. So that's been our big mission. I mean, I've, I've done, uh, after I quit my actuarial job, I did actually go uh, traveling and go overseas and did the whole, you know, um, uh, lifestyle of doing nothing, basically doing nothing. Um, and it got boring pretty quickly. That's what I hear a lot. <laughs> it's like people when they say they've achieved financial freedom, it, it's it's more than life, you know, and they, they find something that's going to be purposeful and, and that's what it sounds like you found your purpose now is to help others and achieve that. How far off are you from uh, achieving the, the goal that you've set or the vision that you and your company have set? Yeah, we've got uh, about 2,000 members now in our community, which is growing and, and it's growing uh, really fast even um, during the midst of uh, COVID. And I think a lot of people are waking up, they understand that they have to take what the media is saying with a big grain of salt. And um, this is uh, waking up to the fact that this is now a great opportunity window. Um, so that's why we're getting record numbers of members uh, joining us, which is uh, you know uh, amazing because the bigger our community, the, the the bigger and stronger our negotiation power is. Um, so yeah, so we're about two thousand members strong, and uh, we'll be we're absolutely confident that we can grow this membership to about ten thousand and helping them um, achieve. Like we like to be able to have that member going through the whole investment journey with a with us, and to the point where they have achieved their financial freedom. Um, you know that 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 will be that whole journey will be incredibly gratifying for us. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, especially when you, you, you join a community like yours and implement in action and get results, you know, it's a no-brainer, you know, to be able to be part of something like that and especially you surround yourself with the right mindset because that's the hardest thing is finding the right community to be part of and learning from them and you know, have great mentors like yourself as well too to be able to support and coach them through that process. Yeah, I've definitely benefited from mentoring and coaching um, in, in, in my time and also I continue to have to look to mentors and coaches as well. Uh, and just that's incredibly um, important because they help you. Um, they help the biggest, the biggest help they, uh, they give is mindset is actually just, uh, just making sure like, for example, when you are in a state of fear, you can't make good decisions and they can pull you out of that and they can point it, point it out to you. So mindset is actually incredibly important. Um, and that's actually uh, what I spend, like I say every, everybody should spend most of their time working on their mindset and it's a, con, it's a, never, it's a never ending journey. While on the subject, Pan shares her biggest motivators and inspirations who have helped her succeed in her personal journey. One of uh, my biggest mentors uh, that I've uh, you know been listening to and following for many many years now is Tony Robbins. 
Um, so uh, and being, you know, probably probably looked at his um, first looked at his material back in 2007, 2008, as well as just when I was starting this journey. Um, and that whole personal development space has just, just been a journey that I've embarked on uh, more and more. So I've been through all of his programs, read all of his books, um, and it's been incredibly helpful because you can put in, in, in terms a lot of like just the language around and making yourself incredibly aware of some of the things that you're doing to yourself that you might not be consciously aware of. You know, they're driven by fear. They're not driven by um, any sort of any, any, anything logical. And also it's just a, um, one of the things, a habit that I got into uh, doing is uh, setting yourself a goal so um, once, at least once a year, you set yourself like a, a vision board um, and with goals for different aspects of your life um, and visualize that as much as you possibly, like re- on a regular basis. So that was something that I really stuck on doing um, and, and I wouldn't have picked it up if I didn't come across mentors like, like Tony. Um, so, so and, and it's, it's amazing what you do when, what you focus on the universe managed to bring it to you. So, you know, the more you focus on, on one thing, um, and this is a goal that I set for myself, it was completely non-negotiable. It was just no, like I, uh, the goal that I set for myself when I was 20 was that I wanted to retire from my career by the age of 30, having, having uh, managed to find a way to build a passive income for myself and my family. And I achieved that. Um, because I really focus on it for, um, and I was telling everybody about it, and I was, <laughs> it was very very funny because I was talking to um, uh, talking to someone, uh, one of my old colleagues, and 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 he just said, Liana, do you remember that you were telling us about it, telling me about it uh, uh, at that point in time? I could just imagine some people would just say, well, good luck to you, but by um, speaking it out loud, it's like you're committing, you, you're holding yourself accountable. Knowing everything that she does now, what would Pan say to her younger self if she could go back to 10 years ago? If I met myself 10 years ago, I uh, would have would have probably just said, you know, take action, take more action, uh, you know, don't procrastinate. And uh, I have like it's a very interesting thing. I talk to investors all the time, and uh, I w- I'll say the same thing to myself: start earlier if I could, <laughs> start investing earlier uh, if I could. And I uh, I talk to investors all the same time, and I've never met an investor that told me I wish I started later. In everyone said I wish I started earlier. I wish I didn't sell that property. I wish I hold on to it, whatever whatever that may be. Uh, or I wish I had mentor earlier in my life. You know, it's 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 all. So, if I was to go back uh, ten years ago to myself, I would have said said those things. Hindsight, we always reflect back and go, you know, wish we could change that because you don't know what you don't know until you reach the point and destination. Uh, I guess I'm looking now forward for five years. What are you most excited about in your journey? And I think you've kind of covered it, but I, I thought I'd still ask that question as well, unless it's any different to what you've talked about. That mission, which is the freedom mission, so myself, my business partner, and our entire um, freedom team, is is to help. You know, we have 
amazing, incredibly amazing um, uh, property coaches and strategists in our team um, today that have achieved, you know, incredible results for themselves, um, but also huge on um, helping others uh, do the same. So our mission, our team mission is actually to be able to bring that to fruition. You know, if we can help 10,000 people or more, um, you know, be on that journey to achieve their financial freedom and seeing that happen, you know, transformation and, you know, just asking them to pay that forward as well. Uh, imagine what a difference it could make. So that, that's that been our biggest huge goal and I would be, I'll be um, incredibly happy. We're already very happy being on this journey. How did you come up with the number 10,000, by the way? Uh, it's a goal. It's a number that we set and we thought that uh, it's like a big big uh big goal <laughs> at the time, yeah, audacious goal at the time we said it we didn't think we we're gonna you know we think oh my god that's such a huge number um but but you know without having set those huge goals uh for your for yourself um things don't happen and and it's it's amazing when you do that like uh, you know a lot of things a lot of opportunities you're not seeing before um you're opening your eyes to it so, how much of Pan's success is due to skill, intelligence and hard work and how much of it is based on luck? I think I really like this saying, actually this comes from uh, Tony, is that just the more you focus on something, um, the more you work at it and the harder you work, the luckier you get. <laughs> and that goes back to the same thing, you know, the, the, the more you honing on something, um, the, the more your eyes will be open to things that you just know, you would just, your mind would have just overlooked before. And perfect example is like, if you go out and buy a car and from the very next day, you suddenly notice that a lot of people are driving the same car. You notice every car that is your car, right? But if you haven't, if you are not aware of it in the first place, then you wouldn't be looking for it. Thank you to Liana Pang, our guest on this episode of Property Invest Story. If you want to hear more about her journey and get a copy of the episode guide on the website, head over to propertyinvestory.com forward slash guide. This guide will give you the inside scoop on little gold nuggets of wisdom, all our guests share from their backstory and all the overall strategies and philosophies. Plus, you'll get a copy of the advice broken down and shared in a quick and easy to consume format. Just head over to propertyinvestory.com forward slash guide and download it today.